I'm so happy to be with you this morning and to be able to share from God's Word. Let's go to prayer before we look into the Word. Heavenly Father, as Becca sang this morning, you have called us higher. You have called us deeper. Lord, we want to go where you lead us. Father, that's my prayer for this morning. Lord, as we look into your word and as we look back over the way that you have been so gracious to us, Lord, I pray that we would go higher into your love and deeper into your grace. Father, open our ears to hear your word. Open our eyes to see you more clearly. And Father, fill us with your spirit so that we might uh, go forth from here uh, filled with the knowledge of you and filled indeed with your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So, I am perhaps not the world's most dynamic speaker. And I'm going to ask you guys for a little bit of help this morning. Part of this sermon requires some congregational participation. I will prompt you, but I would like to hear some amens, maybe some hallelujahs, and maybe a praise the Lord, and I'll let you ad lib as you see fit. And if if my my dynamism is not up to par, you guys are going to make up for that, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit will unite us as we praise the Lord together. Because this morning we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate God's grace, Grace, you could spend a lifetime probing the depths of its meaning and never reach the bottom. At the same time, at its root, grace is a simple concept. It means simply a gift, a blessing, favor, kindness. Everyone who has come to faith in Christ knows the grace of God. Coming to faith is itself a gift of God. So everyone who truly knows Christ has experienced grace. And having come to faith, we spend our lives having our eyes open more and more to how abundantly God has shed His grace on us. And we'll never fully grasp it all because because God's grace simply surpasses our capabilities to comprehend. Amen? Amen? At some level, all people are beneficiaries of God's grace. Jesus tells us that God causes His Son to shine on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. These gifts are wholly undeserved. The evil that receive God's grace, they are enemies of God. They're idolaters. They worship other gods or even themselves as God. But God gifts them with life and health, the light of the sun, a rain for crops to grow to provide them food. But there is a greater grace, as James tells us, grace that saves, grace shown by God to his chosen people, grace that causes us to be born again, grace that provides for the forgiveness of our sin, grace that bestows on us an inheritance of riches in Christ. Now the unbelieving, they go about their daily lives unmindful of the moment-by-moment gifts of God. And though they are wholly dependent On God's grace for their very existence, they do not honor Him or give Him thanks. But for the Christian, every day, 
every moment should be filled with a continual celebration of God's grace. And our Sunday worship ought to be a special celebration of God's grace, a celebration of the gifts that he's blessed us with. This morning, I want to guide us in meditating on some of the gifts of grace that God has bestowed on us all. Specifically, we're going to spend this morning celebrating the grace that God has shown us through Mark and Joyce Musser. Now notice I worded that very carefully. Our focus is not to be specifically on the Mussers. We can certainly celebrate them, and we should, and we have, and we will continue to do so. But this morning I'm aiming higher. I'm aiming for a higher target, and I want to see I want you to see what I'm aiming at so that you can aim there along with me. This morning we're going to celebrate God for the grace he has shown to us through Mark and Joyce Musser. This is going to be a legit, theocentric, God-centered sermon. We're going to look specifically and biblically at the gifts that are ours because of what God has done. And we're going to look specifically at what he's done right here in Lake Grove through the ministry of this couple. We're going to focus on four specific gifts. We could probably go on and on. But I'm going to focus on, I guess, the big four for me. God's gospel, God's scriptures, God's comfort, and God's glory. And as we meditate on these amazing blessings, I hope that we will all together lift our hearts in celebration. So the first grace I want to celebrate, the first gift that God has blessed us with through Pastor Mark's ministry is God's gospel. And I want to start by asking you a question. Over the years, when you've come here on Sunday mornings, why have you come? What did you come to hear? What did you come to see? I ask this question because Jesus once asked a similar question to the crowds that followed him. If you turn to Matthew chapter 11, you can follow along. Here in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus asked the crowds why they came to see John the Baptist. And then Jesus answers that question himself. Matthew chapter 11, I'll be starting in verse 4. Matthew records here how John the Baptist, now in prison, sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the expected one. Actually, that starts in verse 1. But then picking it up in Matthew 11, verse 4, Jesus answered them and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Then he turns to the crowds down in verse 7. And Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And he says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Can I tell you this morning that this word has been fulfilled in this place and in your hearing Sunday after Sunday for 25 years? Allow me to explain. 
when Jesus was asked if he was the expected one, that is, the one who would bring the kingdom of God to earth, what was the evidence that he gave? In verse 5, he speaks of the miracles that he did. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. And then he says this, the poor have the gospel that is God's good news preached to them. This, according to Jesus, is the evidence that God's kingdom has come among men. Then in verse 11, 11, Jesus goes on to make that striking statement that he who is least in that kingdom, that kingdom that he's brought, he who is least in that kingdom is greater than John. What's Jesus saying here? He's not trying to bring John the Baptist down. Not at all, because he says, truly among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than him. But what he's doing is lifting high his kingdom and all those who enter it. Now watch this. What makes those in his kingdom greater than John the Baptist? Well, of course, Jesus. But more specifically, what makes those in the kingdom greater than John the Baptist is this, the gospel. Those in the kingdom have God's good news. They've heard it and they've been transformed because of it. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor, Jesus says, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And looking back over all these things, these things are true of all those who have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of King Jesus. Their blind eyes have been opened to see the truth of the gospel. Their deaf ears have been opened to hear the call of the gospel. Their crippled legs have been strengthened to stand firm in the gospel and to walk in the way of the gospel. The stain of the leprosy of the corruption of sin in their lives has been washed away by the gospel. And those who are in the kingdom of God have been raised from death to new life by the gospel. The gospel, brothers and sisters, is an awesome gift of God. And this is why he who is least in, the king, in God's kingdom is greater than John. See, John's ministry was limited. He prepared the way for Jesus' presentation of the gospel and for Jesus to accomplish his gospel mission, that is, to die for our sins. But John did not yet have the full knowledge that we now have. And one of the commentators that I read said, the least of Jesus' disciples, rejoicing in his presence, rejoicing in communion with him, in his revelation of the Father, though less than John in fame, work and rigor of his holiness, was yet above him in the knowledge of the truth and therefore in blessedness and joy. Maybe I'll read that again. The least of Jesus' disciples, rejoicing in his presence, in communion with him, and his, in his revelation of the Father, though less than John in fame, work, and the rigor of his holiness, was yet above him in the knowledge of the truth and therefore in blessedness and joy. He who is least in the kingdom the least of Jesus' disciples, has the full gift of the gospel and therefore is above John in knowledge of the truth and, as the commentator said, above John in blessedness and in joy. The gospel, brothers and sisters, is a gift of God that we ought to celebrate enthusiastically, energetically, and with great thanksgiving and joy in our hearts. Can I get an amen? amen. How about a hallelujah? hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So this morning we are proclaiming a celebration of the gospel.
But there's more for us in the passage here in Matthew. What did you hear here every Sunday morning? What did you come and see? A reed shaken by the wind, verse 7. In other words, did you come to see an unstable, double-minded man swayed to and fro by the winds of public opinion or political correctness or popular fashion? How about verse 8? Did you come to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Those are who are found in king's palaces. This here, Jesus is referring to a faction of the Jewish leaders who exchanged their somber gar- garments of their religious order for showy, refined garments of Herod's court. They had separated from their people to mingle with royalty in the halls of political power. In other words, they were those who had compromised and sought comfort, luxury, and power at the expense of fidelity to their people and their faith. Now, did you come to New Village to hear sermons swayed this way and that by the opinions of men and the spirit of this age? Did you come to see a man who had exchanged the hard truths of God's word for comfortable-sounding but false reassurances of the wisdom of this world? Is that what you heard and saw at New Village? No way. What did you see and hear? The answer is a prophet. Yes, a prophet. The Greek word here for prophet, prophetes, means simply a person gifted at expositing, that is explaining, setting forth divine truth. So brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something this morning. Pastor Mark is a prophet. He is a person gifted at expositing God's truth. He's not a reed shaken by the wind. Not a man dressed in soft clothing. I mean, think about it. Well, he did suffer mightily wearing an uncomfortable jacket, didn't he? And that constricting tie every Sunday. So definitely not a man dressed in soft clothing. But seriously, Pastor Mark never compromised the message. He never compromised the gospel. He held firm to Scripture, firm to New Village Church's scripturally rooted doctrinal statement, firm to his convictions in the Holy Spirit. He brought the gospel, God's good news, each Sunday. Do you think that's something worth celebrating this morning? Can we praise God that he had his man, Mark Musser, filling the pulpit? A man who preached the gospel, rain or shine, snow or sleet, in the heat of the summer, in the dead of the winter, in health and in sickness? Do you think this morning that we ought to celebrate God's provision of gospel preaching at New Village for the last 24 year, 25 years? Can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Now, I want to be careful while we're on the subject to be clear what I mean by the gospel. If you ask pastor, what's the gospel? What do you think he'd say? After 18 years sitting under his teaching now, I can tell you what I think he'd say. I think that Mark, being a prophet, would speak not from his own authority, but from God. He would exposit God's truth. He'd go right to the Scriptures. And I think I know where he'd go. Right to Paul, right to 1 Corinthians 15. And if you want to turn there for a minute, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, and hopefully it's familiar to, to, you, to you all, where Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. And then skipping down to verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I tell you the truth, 
Thanks to Pastor Mark, when I hear the word gospel, I automatically think 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's now become a reflex reaction for me. And Paul tells us here exactly what that good news is. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. That's it. It's a simple message, but a powerful one. Apart from God's intervention in our lives, we are dead in our sins, condemned to life here and in eternity, separated by our sins from God and from His light, life, and His love. But Jesus died for our sins, verse 3. And Jesus was truly dead, Paul says, verse 4. And Jesus was truly raised again to life, verse 4, demonstrating that He was who He said He was, the Messiah, and validating His gospel work. And because of Jesus' gospel work, because He died for our sins and was raised to life, God considers the penalty for our sins to have been paid so that we can be forgiven our sins, reconciled to God, and raised in newness of life. This is the good message, the good news that Pastor Mark has labored to bring to us over and over and over again for 25 years. So this morning, let's celebrate the gospel. Let's celebrate, celebrate the truths that Jesus died and he rose again. Let's celebrate that because of the gospel, we are born again. We are new creations. Let's celebrate that God sent to New Village a prophet to proclaim his gospel. Let's celebrate that God sustained his man here these 25 years and enabled him to hold fast to the gospel truths and not to compromise. Let's celebrate the gospel. Now I want an amen and a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The second grace that I want to celebrate is God's scriptures. I want to pick up here on Paul's explanation in 1 Corinthians 15. Did you notice the foundation underlying Paul's explanation of the gospel? What does he say? Christ died, what? According to the Scriptures. And he was raised, what? According to the Scriptures. The validity, the truth of the gospel is rooted in Scripture. Jesus himself taught this. For example, in Luke 24, verse 44, he says, All things which were written about me all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And Luke goes on to say that Jesus opened the minds of his disciples to understand what? The Scriptures. Jesus opened the minds of the disciples to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning, beginning from Jerusalem. The scriptures testify to God's gospel plan to send Messiah to save his people from their sins. They explain hundreds, even thousands of years in advance, that the Messiah would be God himself, Isaiah 9 6 or Psalm 110, that Messiah would suffer and die for our sins, Isaiah 53 or Genesis 22, that his death would be torture that involved piercing and suffering and suffering God's wrath specifically, Psalm 22. That Jesus would be raised again to life, Psalm 16 and, and Isaiah 53. So the scriptures validate the truth of the gospel. All these things happened, says Paul, says Jesus, according to the scriptures. 
But beyond that, the scriptures are God's chosen means for communicating the gospel story itself to us. We're now 2,000 years removed from the actual events. Turn to John 20, near the end of John's gospel. The scriptures, I say, are God's chosen means for communicating the gospel. And why do I say this? That's because the scriptures themselves tell us this specifically. Look at John 20, starting in verse 28, where Thomas is reacting to seeing Jesus for the first time since the resurrection. And Thomas says to Jesus, You are my Lord and my God, verse 28. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And then John, as narrator, goes on to explain. Verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Where would we be without these writings? without the scriptures. We'd have no knowledge of the gospel story. We'd be lost without truth, unable to believe, unable to have life. But because God has spoken to us in the scriptures, we know the story of Jesus. Because God has spoken to us in the scriptures, we know the gospel. And because God has made his truth available to us, we can, we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, we can have life in his name. Are not the scriptures something worth celebrating this morning? Can I get an amen? How about a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. You know, when Lynn and I first moved to the area, we were looking for a church, and we were having a tough time finding a place that we felt we could call home. Maybe some of you heard this story before. Uh, we'd gone through the phone book. Uh, I know it was ancient times back, back around the turn, of the turn of the century when we used the phone book. <clears throat> We went through the phone book and we noted a few churches that looked promising. We visited a few and none seemed to fit. So back to the phone book. We came across one we had skipped over. New Village Congregational Church. On first glance, seeing congregational, we had assumed that New Village was not the place we were looking for because in our minds, congregational was associated with a low view of Scripture and a church that had compromised with the culture. But on this second time through the yellow pages, we noticed the motto in the ad. Underneath New Village Congregational Church, it said, and I don't know if any of you remember this, this was our motto, where the scriptures are central and Christ is preeminent. We saw that and we thought, well, maybe. Let's visit. We came here and you all know what we found. We found a church where indeed the scriptures are central. And the church was led by a pastor in whose heart, mind, and life the scriptures were central. And knowing Joyce, you know the same can be said for the pastor's wife. And as we got to know the people here, we found that many followed their example. New Village Church is a church where the scriptures are central. And Mark and Joyce have both labored, to keep, labored hard to keep it that way. Now, if you ask Pastor Mark, where in the scriptures does it talk about the scriptures? He'd probably take you to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, or 2 Peter 1, 21. And I'm not going to take time to read those this morning. But eventually, I'm sure you'd wind up 
in Psalm 119. If you can turn with me now there to Psalm 119. It's an extended meditation, as Pastor has taught us, an extended meditation on the law of God, the Scriptures. It happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible. And I'm not going to read it all here, but I want to pause just a moment to look at verses 97 through 104. Here the psalmist writes, Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you, have, you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For your precepts, from your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Oh, how I love your law, the psalmist says. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey. In my Bible, these phrases all end with an exclamation mark. Clearly, the translators felt the psalmist's deep sincerity and enthusiasm. Now, be honest with me. When was the last time you said, no, shouted, oh, how I love the Scriptures. How sweet are your words. And is your love for them so great? Is the taste of them so delicious? that they are, verse 97, your meditation all the day. And when was the last time you celebrated that because God has imparted His ways and His wisdom to you in the Scriptures, you have available to you wisdom beyond your years of experience? How precious is it to you to know the ways of God so that you can walk in them and not sin? Are not the Scriptures an awesome gift of grace from God? And have we not been blessed these many years to have had a pastor who treasured the Scriptures and diligently instructed us in the Scriptures and brought us to the Scriptures for correction, for encouragement, and for equipping us for every good work? Are you grateful to God this morning for God's gift of the Scriptures? Can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. So we're celebrating God's Gospel this morning. And we're celebrating His Scriptures. They are gifts freely given and undeserved and of worth indescribable. But of course there's more. The third gift I want to celebrate is God's comfort. God comforts us in our sorrows and amid the storms of life. When I think of God's comfort, I can't help but go right to one of Pastor Mark's favorite Scriptures, Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you, God says. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear. God is with us. This promise and command, God is with you, do not fear, it's found throughout the whole of Scripture from the law 
through the prophets, the Psalms, through the Gospels, and the Epistles. You know it well in Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8, and again in Hebrews 13, 5, we read that the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Psalm 46, we read, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. In John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And it's there in John 14 that Jesus makes clear that the reason that we are not to fear is God's very supernatural but very real presence with us, which is His gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. God puts His Spirit in those who know Him. The Spirit abides with us, Jesus says, and He is in us. Can you imagine that? The Spirit of the creator of the universe is in you. He will not leave you. He gives you his peace. He gives you his strength. He is your refuge. He upholds you. He will not fail you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you find comfort in that this morning? Do you celebrate the amazing grace of the gift of God's presence in you? Can I get another amen? amen. How about a hallelujah? hallelujah? Praise the Lord. So God sends His comfort directly by His presence with us. But He also sends His comfort indirectly. He sends His comfort through His people to His people. And Mark and Joyce Musser are two of His people through whom through whom. He has sent his comfort to us all over the last 25 years. In their service to the Lord here at New Village, Pastor Mark and Joyce have been obedient to the call of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. They have shown us all affection and compassion. They have humbly served each of us in ways big and small. They have done nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, they have regarded us as more important than themselves. They did not merely look out for their own personal interests, but also for our interests. Through their humble service, we have been blessed with the comfort of God. Comfort in times of suffering and death. Comfort in times of sorrow and grief. Comfort in times of need, whether the need was for a listening ear, for wise counsel, for scriptural instruction, for financial assistance, or just for some of those world-famous meatballs. I mean, comfort food counts as comfort, doesn't it? Well, at least, at least in my world, it does. Pastor Mark has often preached what he calls the one-anothering, the biblical call to love one another, be kind one to another, bear each other's burdens, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, forgive one another, pray for one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Encourage one another to assemble together. To lay down your life for one another. He's preached these commands 
And he and Joyce have lived these commands. And God has comforted us, comforted us through them as they lived out these commands. And even more than that, God has comforted us as we ourselves have lived out these commands in reciprocally giving our, of ourselves to each other. Isn't it amazing for, that God has comforted us directly with his presence and comforted us indirectly through the musters loving us and through us loving each other, as well as for teaching us to do the one anothering through the ministry of the musters among us. Can I get another amen? How about a hallelujah? Praise the Lord for his comfort. And finally, I want to spend a moment meditating on the grace of the gift of the glory of God. God's glory, it may be his most amazing gift to us. God gifts, gifts us with his glory in two ways. He makes us like him and he enables us to participate in his glory. First, God makes us like him. This is a miraculous thing. In his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, recorded in John 17, Jesus prayed, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Did you catch what Jesus says here? The glory which you, Father, have given me, I have given them. This is something that he's already done. He's given us his glory. The process of glorification to be, to be brought to completion in eternity has already begun. He has given us his glory. And what does that gift consist of? That we are one with him. He is in us and we are one with each other in unity. And so we are like him. Just as the Son and the Father and the Spirit are one, so we are welcomed somehow into that union with him and with one another. And in that union, because of his presence in us, we share in his glory. In 1 John 3, 1 and 2, the Apostle John says that someday in heaven, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Obviously, we're not there yet. But this promise is real. And the seed of its fulfillment is already at work in us because he is in us. We are being transformed into his likeness. So God will make us like him. He is making us like him. And he will glorify us. But it's also true that God enables us to participate in his glory by doing good works for him. His Spirit at work in us energizes us to serve him and to serve others in ways that bring God glory. In Matthew 5, a familiar verse, verse, I'm sure, verse 14, Jesus preaches that we are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't know if you're like me, but usually when I hear that, I think, well, I better get my act together and do some good so that people see me and are drawn to God. 
And there's an element of truth to that, remembering, of course, that we can't get our act together by ourselves. We need the Spirit's work in us. But I wanted to look at this from a slightly different angle this morning. Have we here at New Village not been witnesses of good works done by the Mussers these many years? What, therefore, ought we to do? Having seen their good works, we ought to glorify our Father who is in heaven. And in so doing, we are blessed to be participating in the act of bringing God glory. I hope you saw how that works. God is glorifying us by His presence in us, and God enables us to participate in the awesome privilege of bringing glory to Him as we recognize the good that He is doing through those who minister among us. Really, this ought to send shivers down your spine. If you are in Christ, you have the privilege of thrice tasting the glory of God. First, because He puts it in you. Second, because He enables you to do good works that bring glory to Him. And third, because He enables you to recognize the good that is being done by others and then give glory to Him because of it. Brothers and sisters, we have seen the glory of God at work among us for 25 years. Let us celebrate this gift by giving Him all the glory, for He alone is worthy. Can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. I want to conclude our time together this morning with a corporate celebration of God's grace. I hope that the Scriptures that we have looked at have primed the pump. We've spoken of the gift of God's Gospel, the gift of God's Word, the gift of God's comfort, and the gift of God's glory. Now I want us to come together to raise an Ebenezer. You know what an Ebenezer is? Ebenezer is the name that Samuel gave to a stone, a stone of remembrance. It's a monument that he erected to mark the grace of God toward the people of Israel. The word Ebenezer from the Hebrew means stone of help. So last scripture for this morning, if you can turn to 1 Samuel 7. It's here we find the end of a long story. <clears throat> I'm not going to tell all the story this morning, but I'm sure many of you know it. It began when Israel was caught up in disobedience and idolatry, just prior to Samuel becoming judge over Israel. God had allowed the Philistines to defeat Israel in battle and carry away the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines put the Ark in the temple of their idol, Dagon. And God knocked the idol over and, and he smote the Philistines with plagues. So the Philistines sent the ark back to Israel. And when it arrived, the Israelites gathered with Samuel at a place called Mitzvah. And they confessed their sin and they repented of their idolatry. And then picking up in 1 Samuel 7, we read, Now that when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. 
Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out to Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. And then Samuel took a stone and he set it between Mitzvah and Shen and he named it Ebenezer saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has thundered with a great thunder against our enemies, against sin and death and Satan. The Lord has given us the victory. He has given us His Gospel and His Scriptures and His comfort and His glory. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. It's time for us to celebrate His help. It's time for us to celebrate His grace. It's time for us, metaphorically at least, to raise our Ebenezer, our stone of remembrance. So what I wanted to do this morning was to gather together, right here, right now. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Mark and Joyce to come to the front and Brother Mike's going to grab a couple chairs, and we're going to have a little non-conventional end to our sermon. I want to gather together right here, right now. I want to raise an Ebenezer of prayer and praise. We're going to celebrate. Celebrate God for His grace, for His helping, having helped us this far, and for how graciously He's blessed us through the mussers. And having celebrated God's grace, then... We can transition to some prayers on behalf of our dear brother and sister, Mark and Joyce, as they go out from us. So is that clear? Does it make sense? I'm going to actually invite all who are able and willing to gather around the mussers. We're going to come together and we're going to pray for a little while. So a little more congregational participation, if you will. If we can just gather around in a big, a big circle. And as I said, we want to focus first on just thanking and praising God for how great He is and for all the good that He's done for us and how He's ministered to us. And then as you're led by the Spirit, please pray also for our brother and sister as they go, go out from us. And after you've had a season of prayer, I will close with a benediction and then we'll be dismissed downstairs for our luncheon. Everybody on board with that? Makes sense? Awesome. Okay. Let's pray. Okay. Brother Mike's going to start.
Was equipped us all with all that we need to come together as a unified body to serve our Lord and His will set forth in the Word. We thank you that we were blessed to be in the Word faithfully for all eternity and all tomorrow. Heavenly Father, help us to honor God the Most and not listen to Him so that He may come to the glory of His name for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you.